You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Well, this is Father's Day, and as a tradition here at the church, we celebrate God's image masculine. There's something about Mother's Day when we, represent, we celebrate his image feminine, and Father's Day when we celebrate his image masculine, uh, that I think is really, really important. Well, when it's Father's Day, I always first want to honor my Heavenly Father. I just want to I, I, I make sure that there's intentionality about realizing how good Father God is. How wonderful He has been. How, how, how He's made His love known. Then I thank Him for my earthly father who is already in heaven. But my earthly father loved the heavenly father. And so I had a father who, who modeled many aspects of my heavenly father and was a good signpost of what fatherhood had in store. And so through my, my relationship with my earthly father, I, I understood quite a bit about grace and mercy. Um, I also understood a little bit about judgment <laughs> occasionally, um, uh, that there are consequences to disobedience. <clears throat> but uh, I was just always amazed at the mercy and the grace now, I, I was wondering today, I, I was going to save this for the end, but I, I think we're in a good spot to just kind of do that now. How many were fathering children, raising kids, before you knew the Lord Jesus? Anybody? Anybody? One, two, okay. Before you, before we were walking with the Lord, yeah, like that. It, it's like we, we might have said a, a prayer and got our ticket punched, but, but we didn't know what it was like to be walking with him in the way that we could then father our children, that the overflow of our relationship in, with him was flowing into how we were raising kids. Now, yeah, I, I know that feeling. <laughs> because several of us, you know, we knew the Lord, we're walking with the Lord, and yet we were still pursuing uh, in, in the early part our career. Uh, for me, it was ministry. And so oftentimes the kids and the wife took a back seat to ministry, of which I later had to repent in a, in a very, very serious way. But the fact of it is, is that as I, was, as I was watching some of my friends who were older in life when they had kids, and they were much more seasoned and they understood the preciousness of of children and, and the responsibility, the godly responsibility of really investing in the kids, you know, I got jealous. I thought, oh Lord, I miss so much with my kids. I was so preoccupied with the church that I didn't invest the way you really intended me as a father to invest it with my children. Anybody have any of that kind of feelings inside them? Yeah. Well, I felt like the Lord said, I, wanna, I want to do something about that today on Father's Day. I would like to recalibrate your whole sense of understanding of your failures, your inadequacy, 
uh, your erroneous fathering ways. And I would like to just line them up with mine because his fathering ways is absolutely perfect. And so, Father, I just, right now, with my brothers, we come to you and we receive your invitation to take some of the regret, some of the, some of the sorrow, Father, of, of not having been able to spend the time and to invest in our children, of, of being too tired from a day's labor to really have anything to give to the family when we got home. And so, Father, I, I pray that every shaming, condemning way that the enemy has used that in the past all the way up to today, I pray, Father, that that would be completely eradicated by your love. Father, that there would be a turning as we've confessed our, our regret, as we, ref, as we confess our failure. We ask, Father, that you would anoint us at this point in our life, how to proceed with our children in ways that are loving and kind, that accurately reflect you and that are redemptive. And Father, that would have an impact in their life. For the Lord says, it's never too late to invest in your children, even when they're adults even when they are parents. It's never too late. And so, Father, we receive your word and we receive the grace that accompanies it. We thank you for the grace to repent. And we ask now, Father, that you would anoint us, that the days that we have, the years that we have on the earth would be days when we bless our families Bless our spouses, bless our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and on and on and on. And so, Father, align our heart with your heart. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I really sensed that yesterday that the Lord was saying that he was wanting to break off some of the regrets that, that we've carried in our heart about not fathering as well as we could have or should have. The would have, could have, should haves. Anybody ever struggle with the would have, could have, should haves? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good. Let's go to John chapter 21. I really wanted to hit this last part of, of this passage that we looked at the first pack part, the miraculous catch of fish, and it's the third appearance of the Lord Jesus to the disciples after the resurrection. And I know I'm a little out of sync, but we had Brian Beeson here, and that was wonderful, and we, I wouldn't miss that for anything, but it kind of threw my schedule off. <laughs> so let's go back and back up, and then we'll get right back with the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. John chapter 21, beginning at verse 15. We're looking at the NIV. Before we look at another version, you probably would never guess what that might be. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. And we bless you that your word never returns void, that it always accomplishes everything that you've sent it. And so we receive it in Jesus' name. After breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of God, do you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated his question the second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said, then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices and went where you pleased. But one day when you are old, others will tie you up and escort you where you do not choose to go and you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. Do you love me? The word in the Aramaic for, for love is huba, and it's taken from a root that means to set on fire. We find uh, the Aramaic word used all through the Song of Solomon, which is talking about the passionate love of desire, the burning of love, the deep burning being set on fire. So he's, do you burn with love for me? Our love for Jesus is to be a passionate flame of love on fire for him within our hearts. And then Jesus... Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these? And there's been all sorts of commentators that try to figure out what the antecedent of these is. You know, is these the fish that they just caught? The 150 plus fish that just came in, the big ones, the whoppers. You know, Peter was a fisherman. You know, do you love me more than golf? Do you love me more than fishing? But most have come to believe that it's really in comparison to the other disciples. Do you love me more than the other, the other disciples? See, that was the boast of Peter uh, the night of the, uh, of the Last Supper. 
That was the boast of Peter that he loved Jesus more than them. And though all of them might leave Jesus, he would not. He would be there. He would fight to the death. He would die for Jesus. And then you know what happened? Just later that night, he denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Three times. And on, on the second crowing of the, of the rooster, there, there was that final denial by Peter. I thought it was appropriate to, to hit this for, for Father's Day because I, th- I think the Lord is wanting to restore uh, all of us, but especially some of us as fathers, back to our full stewardship of fatherhood. He really wants us to get a, a vision, a revelation of what it means to be a father. I loved what uh, Brian Simmons puts in the Passion when he, when he get, does his footnote. He says, three times Peter denied Jesus, but three times he makes this confession of his deep love for Christ. Jesus asked them three times. Peter denied him three times. Peter confesses three times that he loves Christ. By the third time, the crowing rooster inside Peter had been silenced. Oh, I love that. And now he was ready to be a shepherd for Jesus' flock. The tormentation that the enemy has at our failures, our shortcomings, where we, where we don't measure up, where we fall short, and, and fathering is one that, is anyone ever prepared to be a father? No, you know, we're never prepared. We've never been this way before. We've never been a father. We don't know how to father. And we find that the best fathers are ones who have been first sons. And their father had loved them and, and modeled masculinity for them and, mother, and modeled for them what fatherhood looked like. And as we become sons and then as we are raised by fathers, we come into a position that now we can begin to father. We can start to father. And it's, it's so difficult. And there's so many different times that the enemy takes our failures, our, our, our lacks, and he... He files those, and those just get played over and over and over. How many times have we been paralyzed because of something that we've done to one of our kids, and now we feel like we're disqualified to really be the man that the Lord wants us to be in their life? I know, I know men, I, I counsel men who have done things to their children, and as a result of that, they feel like they're disqualified, they see their kids going down the wrong path, but they don't have a voice in their life anymore. They feel like they have no place of authority or no position from which to make an appeal to them. I think, oh Lord, on Father's Day, would you restore that to us? Would you restore that to us as sons and daughters, as fathers and mothers, that we would know what it is not to abdicate and to believe the lie that we have disqualified ourselves? We have not disqualified ourselves. That is a lie from the pit of hell that the enemy uses to keep you and me silent from being his voice of love 
and direction in the lives of our kids. Now, some of us have older kids and we can't direct them like we can when they're two and three. (laughs) And some kids couldn't be directed at two and three. (laughs) (laughs) But we can intercede. We can pray. You know, I've been hearing this expression over and over and over again and I just, something inside of me just wants to scream when I hear it. It says, well... I can't do this anymore and I can't do that because there, da, 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 da. I guess the only thing I can do now is just pray. And I just want to slap them. <laughs> the only thing you can do is pray? It is the greatest thing you can do. It's the best thing that you can do. It's the most powerful thing you can do is to pray for your kids and your grandkids. Pray for your loved ones. We've got to pray because the Lord's the one that, that releases the grace to repent. Do you realize it takes grace to repent? Nobody ever just decides, I just want to stop doing all this sinful stuff. No, the enemy's constantly feeding what we're getting out of it all the time. It is the grace of God that comes that says, you know, I might like better if I don't do this. But can you do it by yourself? No. We've got to turn to Him. And when we turn to Him, we find that He loves us so much that He releases grace to us. His mercies are new every morning. He's so faithful to us. He's so good to us. I love it. Come on, Jesus. So how does Jesus restore Peter? The kingdom way of restoring people. Restoration. First, fix them breakfast. I love that. Do you see that in the text? I mean, first thing, Jesus doesn't wait for their fish. He's already got fish. He's already got it on the grill. He's already grilling out by the time they make seashore. There's something there. How do we restore? Uh-huh. We let Jesus fix his breakfast. Most of us are afraid to get restored because we think that the process of restoration involves punishment and shame. We think that to fully be restored to our rightful place as his son and daughter, his position of ministry or wherever he's called you to, In order to do that, I got to make sure everybody knows that I'm a bad, bad person. I need to be punished for what I've done. Have you noticed that? I find it interesting that, that people always feel like they should be punished. And when they hear the good news of Jesus, that Jesus took the punishment that we deserve and he took it upon himself when he died upon the cross, he took all that within himself. All our sin, all our punishment, all the consequences of our sin, he takes that all of that to the cross, dies, and then is resurrected on the third day. And now we just feel like, well, especially for the older folks who pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps, you know, I don't take charity. 
I don't take anything for free. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to work hard for it. I'm going to deserve it. You know, I, it's, so it's, it, it, it's really hard for that generation to understand what grace and mercy is. Because somehow they will always receive Jesus as their Savior and confess their sins. But along with that gospel message that they receive, they still think, but now it's up to me. Now I got to prove how much I love Jesus because I'm going to be a good Christian and I'm going to be better than Sister Mildred and I'm going to give more than Martha. And, you know, and, and so it becomes a, a performance dynamic. But Jesus took it all upon himself. You don't have to punish yourself. Even when you were caught red-handed and you've got all the different, and believe me, the kingdom of darkness will, will want you to punish yourself. They will torment the hell out of you if, if you allow them to, because they love it when God's children are miserable. But the reality is he took it all upon himself. And we try to receive grace and then add our work. And it just doesn't work. We, we get caught in religion then and we lose the life of Jesus. So he, he took it all. You don't have to punish yourself. You don't have to feel condemned to be restored. There's a godly sorrow that comes when we realize that we've been on the wrong path. But that godly sorrow just helps us to know that I don't want to continue to go this way. The godly sorrow is a, is a manifestation of God's goodness and his grace and his love. It's something that the Holy Spirit personally escorts to us so that we can turn and then we can start walking back to the Father. It's wonderful. So what's he do? He fixes breakfast. Why do you want to have breakfast with someone who needs restoration? because they still don't feel worthy to be in your presence. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore, gets there, and then the text goes silent. What do you do when you just denied the Savior three times, and now he's resurrected, and you're ready to come into his presence? Do you just barge in and give him a high five? No. He got there. I'm sure his head dropped. Because shame is in the eyes and the shame of his denial just brought him there. And Jesus has to fix him breakfast because he needs to know that he wants the fellowship with him. That he belongs. That Jesus wants to spend time with him. People that I take the cracker barrel. My wife. Because I like spending time with her. Rick Baumgartner, because I love spending time with Rick Baumgartner. He's so much fun. People that you go to breakfast with are people that you want to spend time with. Jesus is fixing breakfast because he wants to spend time with Peter. Jesus is fixing us breakfast this morning because he wants us to know that he wants to spend time with us. First step of, of restoration is let's have breakfast. And Jesus in his masculinity initiates 
and we get to reciprocate and, and acknowledge that. Then the process of restoration is a question. Do you love me? I thought we were just going to have breakfast. I don't know if I, these hash browns are going to go down after that question. Yeah, do you love me? Can, can I have another cup of coffee? Do you love me more than these? He has to go back to the place where we have boasted, where pride, where superiority reigns. And he has to ask this question. For Peter, he's restoring him because this is unique to Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. And for us, he will have questions for us. Did you really mean what you said? Has he ever said that to you? He said it to me. <laughs> I'm in the church service and the minister's given this invitation. The next time you hear the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord comes to you and, and you hear the word and the voice of God, will you obey? Yes, I'll obey. I'll obey Jesus. I'll obey Jesus. And then I was just intentionally rude to someone who was doing a very poor job at her job. And I was intentionally being rude. But I'm so religious, I know I can't use bad language. But I had murder in my heart. Transactions over, I'm in the car, and the Lord says, did you mean what you said last night? I said, absolutely, Lord. Okay, I want you to turn around and go back and apologize to that young lady. Lord, I'll go to Africa. <laughs> Tell me where you want me to go, but Lord, I don't want to go back there. Do you, is it amazing that he knows exactly what we need to do but it's the hardest thing for us to do. We can't even do it without his help. We have to go back and humble ourselves, and confess and ask for forgiveness. Anything but that, Lord. But he knows. He knows the question that we need. And he will ask us a question if we truly want fullness of restoration in our fellowship and our relationship with him, he will probably ask you a question and you'll have to answer it. For me, I said, okay, after I do this. Wrong, 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 wrong. Don't delay. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Okay, don't, don't, don't do, don't do that. Peter had to get asked three times because he boasted three times. Because he denied three times, excuse me. The Lord will ask us as many times as we need to, but it's not because he's trying to make us squirm. He's not like us. I know some of you, when you got somebody in the crosshairs and they're dead wrong, you just kind of like watching them squirm. Isn't it fun just to put the screws on and just kind of 
tighten up the vice and just watch him go, oh. Even though it might be in your heart that you're going to forgive him, but you just want to see him experience some agony for a little bit. There's none of that in Jesus. He never asks us a question because he wants to see us squirm. He asks us a question because our heart needs to answer it in order to heal, in order for us to be able to move on. So he asks the question, and then he allows a response. He just waits until Peter answers. And Peter answers, and, and we know the story, and it goes three times. He repeats it. He allows a response, yes, Lord, I love you. And then he gives healing direction. Feed my sheep. If you love me, take care of the sheep. If you love me, feed my lambs. And he does it again and again and again. But something that I didn't notice is that after Peter has confessed it and and he's got there and he gets hurt the third time, after he finally confesses that he really loves him, he burns with love for Jesus. The Lord gives him a word. Do you know how much the Lord loves giving us words? He loves talking to us. He gives Peter a word in his fully restored state that lets him know how he's going to glorify God in the future. I like that. He lets Peter know that you are going to bring glory to the Father by this. In this case, it wasn't a real exciting word. When you're old, you're going to get led. And when you're young, you get to go where you want. But as you get old, you're going to be led in a certain way and your arms will be spread out. Well, the... The church historians say that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel it worthy to be crucified the way his Lord was. Isn't that interesting? The text tells us that the Lord said this to let Peter know how he was going to glorify Jesus in his death, how he was going to glorify God. Hmm. And then he gets another word. Follow me. I give you a word about your future, but now I give you a word for your present. Follow me. I love that. I I love that when prophetic words come to us and they let us see what's coming down the pike, but they also reinforce a current present word today. Follow me. Follow me. So that's that's the biblical restoration path that we find here in John 21. (sighs) I like it when the Lord clarifies the future. So we we realize we're not missing it. You know, Peter Peter could have 
not understood that he was fully restored in the Lord's sight and just kind of went and felt like he wasn't going to measure up. But we see that as they pray, and then on Pentecost, he's preaching, he's leading. He is the rock that the Lord is building upon. Jesus is the rock, and Peter is the, the agent that is used of the Lord for 3,000 converts on the first day of Pentecost. Amazing. I think he got restored. I, 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 think, I think he realized that the Lord had fully embraced him and that he could now fully embrace the Lord. Here's the thing. We all have enough theology that believes that the Lord will fully embrace us. But because of the emotional stuff that has gone on and, and the shame and the condemnation that the enemy tries to conceal and hide in our hearts, we don't feel like we're worthy to fully embrace him. Hmm. And that's a lie that the Lord wants to break off today. He says, you're my chosen. You're my prized possession. You're the one that my heart leaps for. Do you realize that the Lord loves loving you? Most of us don't. We think he's got to love us because we prayed the prayer. He's got to let us into heaven because we asked him to forgive us of our sins, so he's got to let us in. But he really doesn't like us because, you know, we don't wear our hair the right way. We, we, we can't run fast enough. We can't, and you just fill in the blank. All of them are lies. Look to the person next to you and just say, do you know the Lord loves loving you? Now, how'd that feel? That feel good? You like that? Isn't that fun? You all just prophesied to your neighbor. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, do you know the Lord really loves loving me? How'd that feel? Different? <laughs> Felt a little different. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. The enemy has, has moved within certain streams and he will make us feel like we're boasting when we make a statement like that. Or that we're lying when we make a statement like that because there's some little self-talk deep inside our soul that's saying, oh, the, really, the Lord really loves loving me. No, he doesn't. But I had to say it because the bald-headed guy said to. <laughs> but in my heart, I know he doesn't love loving me. He is so tired of my antics. I can't believe he's still putting up with me. Nah. Those are the voices of the evil one trying to prey upon our insecurity. He absolutely loves loving you. Oh gosh, I'm having too much fun. I've been a part of meetings all week that have been three hours long. <laughs> 
Sorry, didn't mean to make this one. Uh, So let this encourage your heart and let him break off shame and let him restore you fully. Let him fix breakfast for you. Let him ask the question. Give him your heartfelt, honest answer. And if he needs to ask other questions, he will. Just give him permission to ask all he wants. Why? Because he's doing it for your restoration because of his great love for you. He wants you fully operational in the place of his love. Mm. And then receive a word from him. It may be in the future, it may be for today, or it may be both. So Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their forbearance today. I pray that you bless them uh, in a very special way. I pray, Father, that you would lift off of us anything that makes us feel disqualified for restoration. I pray that on this wonderful Father's Day, 2019, that we as men would be fully restored into our full capacity as image bearers of your masculine image of fathering and caring and and being strong and protective and, and providing and initiating. I pray, Father, that you would do that there would be a full sense of restoration of your body and that the church in Indianapolis and the greater surrounding region, Lord, that there would be a restoration of fullness to all that you've called us to be and do for the glory of your kingdom. We thank you for all the healings that you've released today. Let them not only begin, but let them come to finality throughout the day and we'll be quick to return and give you the thanks and praise that you so richly deserve. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Well, let's sing a good, good father. Worship team's got that on the list. I know it. And I, woo! I thought, what a great way to end Father's Day of just affirming who our father is and who we are. God bless you as we rise and sing and love on Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.